Hello everyone, I'm Deborah Jermaine Augustine, New Narrative's Membership Engagement Manager. When you hear the word refugee, what picture comes to mind? Is it an image of a boat full of people trying to find a safe place to stay? Or is it a desolate refugee camp? Often, the narrative we have of refugees is that they are helpless. On this episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, I speak to Monique Truong and Lena Al-Mujahid, two women who have experienced forced displacement and continue to face their circumstances and obstacles with courage. They reflect on the characterization of refugees as heroes and their vision for their lives and the society they want to be a part of. But before that, if you enjoy what we're doing, please support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. We are currently running a fundraising campaign and would really appreciate your support. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just $1 a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you, Monique and Lena, for joining us. How are you both doing today? Um, I'm fine. I'm talking to you from Brooklyn. Welcome and thanks for joining us early, your time in the U.S. It's, and- it's a lovely morning. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm glad. Um, Lena, what about you? How are you doing today? Thank you. Yeah, today was uh, a full day meetings, but I'm very happy to get this opportunity to speak up with your platform. Awesome. I'm excited to talk to you both. So let's start with some quick introductions. Monique, let's start with you. Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm a novelist, uh, essayist, librettist, and I am uh, based in Brooklyn. I came to the United States in 1975 as a refugee from the Vietnam War. And I've lived in many places in the States and um, and my home now really is uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Monique, I'd like to ask you a little bit about how you identify. I was told by the organizers of the event hosted by Advocates for Refugees Singapore, titled Women in Displacement, which you'll both be speaking about soon, that you're proud to identify as a former refugee. Why is it important to you to claim this aspect of your identity? I am proud to claim that I am a former refugee because it, it was an experience that um, greatly shaped my identity uh, and it still today forms and inform how I view the world. Um, it, uh, the experience gave me not only a different nationality and a different home country, but um, on a, you know, uh, I was only a child when I came over. I was six, almost seven years old. So um, it truly uh, gave me a new language. It replaced uh, my mother tongue, which was Vietnamese, with the English language. And I have made my... uh, my whole, uh, really my life, um, based on my ability to use the English language in a creative, imaginative way. Um, so it, the experience really is, 
you know, I often talk about it as a kind of rebirth. Um, so it is that formative. I think not only for me, certainly, but for the majority of refugees. And Lena, you currently have refugee status in Malaysia. How long have you been living here? Yes, uh, I came to Malaysia in 2018. Then actually, to be honest, we, because we are a country that the war is new for us. So I, I was, have no idea about how, what's the meaning of refugee and how to be a refugee. And uh, even when, 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 once I arrived to Malaysia, I was like confused. It was like shame to be a refugee because uh, as, I, as I spoke, it's, it's really a new, new thing to, to us as a Yemenis to flee out our homes. So um, when I re- registered in Yonish CR, I, I get and realize that there is a lot of refugees. There is there are 3,600 Yemeni refugees in Malaysia, and um, most of them are women and children. So that's why I decided to, to, to support him, to help them. And, and do you feel since the last three years, has your, 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 your attitude towards that term refugee changed? Yes, of course, because being refugee is not something we choose it. It's some. It's something uh, we cannot control. It. It's. It's the situation. So I can. I know that every refugee is a hero because we face many challenges. We we fled from our homes, our friends, our family, our parents, our schools, our universities, everything. Our normal. All our normal lives changed. So we are really. Every refugee is a hero because he faced a new life, new community, new language new people, new cultures, new traditionals. So really now I, 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 I feel broad that uh, I can see that I'm refugee or I'm, I'm holding the UN card. I like that reframing, that being a refugee is a hero. And I, I do think that all the things you've just listed are immense challenges and it is something to be proud of that you've, you've been able to meet them. Um, even as you said, it's not a choice to be a refugee. Um, So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, Monique, I wanted to start talking about your novels. As you said, you're a novelist and you you are the author of three novels, The Book of Salt, Bitter in the Mouth, which I have had the pleasure of reading, and most recently, The Sweetest Fruits. Can you tell us how you became a writer? Was writing something you've always seen yourself doing? Um, Before I answer that question, Deborah, I, I really want to build upon the wonderful things that um, Lena just spoke about, um, especially the characterization of refugees as heroes. I think that um, for me, I have always thought of um, refugees as also being incredibly imaginative, creative um, people, you know, uh, and optimist um, because we looked at the situation around us and we believed and we, um, we were able to envision something else. Yeah. And yes, absolutely. There is 
the lack of choice often um, because of violence or um, oppression. But I, I want to make sure that we do not um, kind of limit the way that we, we see ourselves, not as just people who are reacting uh, and are acted upon, but we also have a vision of our lives and, and the, the society that we want to be a part of. So, you know, that actually ties in, Deborah, with your question about my, uh, whether I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, I think that it's ingrained, uh, at least for me, that, that, that desire to create, to imagine. And it comes from the fact uh, that I uh, am a refugee. I think primarily, um, I think about how refugees have to be incredible observers. We have to look at the folks around us and we have to really try to understand, you know, all of the nuances that um, are being presented to us. Often we don't have access to the primary language and even if we do, there are cultural, societal differences that, that go along with that language. And we have to be observant people. And I think that is the best training to be a writer and to be a novelist. So, um, so to answer your question, I think, yes, from the moment I, you know, at the age of six, that's what I had to draw upon. And those were the skills that I formed and brought to my work now as a writer. I think that's really important what you're saying about not limiting our view of, of refugees as, as people who are acted upon. Um, and in fact, yeah, I think, I think um, you know, I, I, I'm sure we're going to, to talk about some of the work Lena's doing um, and in, in how refugee communities are actually you know, when we choose to, to open up our perspective, are capable of, of, you know, doing immense things in the world. And, and I love what you're saying about how observation as a refugee is what, you know, influenced your, your, your life as a writer. I, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and, and something I noticed, you know, in, in looking at your novels is that marginalized voices feature in all of them. They're all very different settings, but the erasure of marginalized voices is something you often explore in your novels. And I wonder if, you know, it, it also ties in with your experience of being a refugee, that this is the kind of thematic concerns that you have in your novels. I do focus on marginalized voices because um, I am a marginalized voice myself. Uh, having grown up in um, the Southern United States where my second novel, Bitter in the Mouth is set, 
I know that that region is known um, to most people in the world, certainly most uh, Americans, as a region that is, you know, about the narrative and the stories of white people and black people. And I, as a Vietnamese refugee, um, did not fit into either group. And yet I was still part of that um, region of the United States. My family and our stories are still part of that place. And so to write about it was to claim it and to say it belongs to me as well. And, um, you know, for the historical novels, when I, I write about um, marginalized voices in history, it's the same act. It's to say these folks were present in history. You just haven't heard them. You haven't seen them. And often because they're not documented in the same way. Um, uh, and my, I suppose my narrative projects have always been that idea of reclaiming or simply claiming a place. I, yeah, and I, I think that you're right. Um, in We associate you know, a place like the South, as you said, um, is not somewhere that are where a lot of Asian folks live. Um, but that was your experience. So that's um, amazing that, you know, I think that's really a testament to the power of fiction as well, how it can really give voice to some of the things that aren't recorded in the main narrative. And The Sweetest Fruits, your latest novel, is a novel from the perspective of three women who played pivotal roles in the life of Lafcadio Hearn, a writer who is most famous for his books about Meiji-era Japan. And Lafcadio Hearn was a real person, and so are the women in the novel. But the stories of these women have either gone unrecorded or have been erased from the historical record. As I said earlier, you know, voices that are erased from the larger narrative, or as you just said, voices on the margin, um, is a common theme in your novel. So you know, why these women in particular? What sparked your interest in the women in Lafcadio Hearn's life? There are a lot of biographies that have been written about Lafcadio Hearn. Um, if folks haven't heard about him, um, just consider, just know that he lived from 1850 to 1904, and he was really considered uh, one of the preeminent Western experts on Japanese um, folklore, fairy tale, um, ghost stories. And um, whenever I hear the, um, uh, a Western writer, especially of that era, being presented as an expert, um, I question it. Um, and so so I, I, like I said, there are lots of biographies about him, so that's where I started. Um, and I started to see that there were these um, women who played what was clearly an important part of his emotional uh, upbringing, his emotional life as a man, um, and yet they were written about in, in really 
incredibly dismissive ways, in ways that actually didn't make sense to me. Um, and uh, so they became mysteries to me, and I wanted to know more about them. Um, and um, that was really the impetus, you know? I think all my novels begin as a question uh, for myself, you know, something in history or something in my own personal life that I need to understand. I need to have a better um, sort of um, just grounding in. And these women presented themselves and, and I followed them. And the novel is about Hearn, but really isn't about Hearn. It's about these women <laughs> and their voices and, and how they, like Hearn, were able to uh, um, cross boundaries, cultural boundaries, geographical boundaries, um, and societal norms, and that they were not uh, people who were as limited as the historians uh, would present them to be. Uh, yeah, I think that it, it, it seems like only men get to be explorers, right, in the historical record, but it seems like you're allowing these women to be seen in a similar light or to show how women too um, were doing just as much traveling and, and exploring. That's right, Deborah. And I think it goes back again to what Lena was saying about, you know, um, who's a hero and how do we, how do we, you know, assign that word? Do we assign it to folks like refugees? Do we assign it to people like um, women, like, um, like uh, Rosa, uh, who was Lafcadio Hearn's mother, who, you know, who left the um, Greek island where she was from and went to Dublin, Ireland to start uh, a new life. It didn't work out for her, but she did it, <laughs> right? And Alethea, his first wife, who was um, a formerly enslaved Black woman who, who started a new life after the Civil War and joined her life with Hearn against all social and um, legal conventions. Um, and Setsu, his Japanese wife, who was absolutely um, a person who basically became uh, an exile within her own country because of her marriage with Hearn. Um, it, it is about how we choose to look at the people around us in present day and in the past and assign uh, descriptors and, and positive descriptors like hero, intrepid, brave, um, explorers, like you said, Deborah. And that sounds really, really intriguing. And I would love to read your latest book. Um, what's a takeaway that you hope readers will have from reading your book? I think 
that um, if readers, once they close that, uh, you know, or once they reach that last page of The Sweetest Fruits, if they say to themselves, my mother was heroic, or my uh, sister or my aunt, you know, did some of the things that I recognize within this book. They left their country. They left their home state. They, they loved bravely and, uh, and without fear or that they, um, they did the absolute best that they uh, could given the circumstances of their lives. If, if readers can make connections like that uh, between my characters and, um, and the women in their own lives, I think that that would be um, exactly what uh, I would hope for. Wonderful. And speaking of women doing brave things, uh, Lena, you are a community leader with the UNHCR, the UN agency mandated to aid and protect refugees, forcibly displaced communities and stateless people. You've also founded the Yemeni Refugee Women Association. What are some of the challenges that specifically affect women in the refugee community? Um, there's a lot of issues. If you mean what's issues that the women in general, they are facing as, as a refugees. So there are many, um, there is uh, the violence, um, the education. Uh, I think those are the most important uh, or the, the, the things that they always face. I cannot explain because refugees issues as, are too many. I, it's, I feel it's, it's not fair to just determine some issues in two words or three words or to determine the issues they face, especially the women, in just four, three points. So what can I see? Really, really, they, they face, I can see they face everything, seriously. Um, how can I explain? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with all the women in the community and the kids. So every day, every day, I received many cases, different cases, cases which I, I've never imagined that one day I, I, I will face or I will, I, I will be in a situation that I should take action for this kind of uh, cases. I'm, I'm not that, I, I haven't that experience. I'm still 26 and I, I worked with the community since two years ago. So when I received too many cases like violence, um, sometimes like I, I cannot, I, I don't know where I should say or not, but sometimes the women, uh, they, they received that. Their husband tried to kill some of them. They used to be like taking their kids from them. Um, and I cannot, I, I, don't know, I, I don't need to say that the food and these essential requirements are really things that they faced every day. But other things like the mental health and everything, especially during COVID-19, oh my God, it was, it was really hard to me to, to, to receive or to know about all that cases that women uh, faced in the community. 
you know what, Monique and Deborah, we are a community that we are really close-minded to women. We we usually we don't like the women to go out to work, to study, uh, to, to 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 do anything. Just you should stay in the home. Even if you want to go out, you have to get the permission to go out. So imagine how is the situation for the women who are there, who they far away from their families and parents. Um, it's really too hard for them mm-hmm. and for me as well. And and when you say um, your community, do you mean the Yemeni community? Yeah, the Yemeni community. And so did you face any resistance from your community when you chose to set up the Yemeni Refugee Women Association? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> of course, I face until now, until this moment. You know, I'm the, the first woman in the community who supports or who is advocate for the women's rights. So on the beginning, really, I was like going to be crazy because of the... Uh, of the, uh, how can I say, their actions and how how to be to have a woman in the community to lead the community or to to show the women's, uh, their rights, really. It was like, Lena now, she's going to show the women what are their rights. So any divorce cases in the community directly, they said, oh, it's because of Lena. Anything happened in the community, like especially the divorcing, any husband or two couples are going to be divorced it will, they will, the, the, the men in the community, they will say it's because of Lena. But really now, uh, I proved myself. And now, uh, seriously, the, 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 some of the community, they changed. They know that we need a woman leader in the community. So now, any divorce cases or any cases related to the woman, they call me, the men, themselves. Lena, please, we need your help to the case, like, blah, blah, blah. But uh, for um, facing uh, challenges with the men in, in community. It's really happened to me until this moment, but I don't care because I see the hope in the women's eyes. They are so happy to have a platform for women to speak up without any fear. So um, I, I choose to just ignore all these voices and keep my work up then forward and... Um, I, I care just about the women and the kids. Uh, what they ever want to do, they they cannot. They just, as as we know, we know we know, all like women that men always just keep talking and um, it's 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 life. Yeah, and 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 so that's. I mean, I think it's great that that now men are also reaching out to you in the community. And can you tell us? more about how you help the women who reach out to your organization for support? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, as we know that uh, UNHCR here um, is, 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 is not that helpful for refugees. So uh, we tried, yes, we tried with UNHCR and really a local NGOs are very helpful and amazing. So uh, we faced cases like delivery cases, education cases, rental, um, asking for uh, surgeries, hospitals, payments, uh, consultations, mental health, 
um, many things that any any woman wants to to because they don't have any organization for for women Yemeni women in the community just me so it's it's like anything they need even by like they they have a lack of knowledge about how to speak to the NGOs or to the UNHCR so we speak behalf of them we speak to the to UNHCR behalf of them to the NGOs behalf of them uh, we we write the reports medical reports marriage divorce um, education um, we, we 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 do like a link between the refugees and uh, the NGOs and UNHCR, and you can imagine what kind of cases we try to handle. I'm not specific in limited things. No, I'm trying to help in anything that I can help with my team. Yeah, that's not, that all sounds like very important work. You know, helping refugee women get access to healthcare and you know to speak to the UNHCR and NGOs they might need. And so what impact have you seen your organization make in the lives of these refugee women? Yeah, actually, yes. Um, one of the things that the, women's, the woman was in need is the language that they can involve to the community. So we try to make partners with other uh, institutes uh, institute to, to learn English, even online, or but it's because of COVID, it's online. So now many women that who they cannot they were cannot speak English now they can speak English they they know how to seek help or to to involve to the community uh, we do many sessions in, uh, in in mental health in consultation and uh, what I'm focusing now we are doing a sessions to support them Initially, to empower the women economically, so, uh, economically, so they 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 do like home projects. So I I I I like I choose all the women who are able to do home projects. So now we are doing like training and workshop for them to help them to um, improve their business that that they can. Uh, they can get income, uh, at least for them. So uh, we 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 like we do like the platform for them, even for their business, home business, and also for the kids. We do like um, competitions. Sometimes we do like um, I don't know what should I call it in English. Sorry, but it's like it's like training, mm-hmm. even for the kids. That's I mean that sounds like many programs and and it sounds like you're making a real difference um in your community um and and you know you you mentioned earlier that you face some resistance within your community but there's also you know current external stresses from you know the pandemic and you know the Malaysian government as well has not been friendly to refugees uh what has the past year taught you you know in in doing the work that you do you know, what have you learned about yourself doing this work of helping Yemeni women refugees? I become mature. I I know that uh, there is a lot of women who need support 
and really uh, I, I I really changed really I don't know how to to explain how I changed but anyone who saw who, who see me now he cannot imagine that Lena we saw before two years especially during the COVID-19 and we faced even personal issues and or, or community issues it's it's really tough from both sides and for being a woman alone in Malaysia it's really hard to to do all that things between studying working and handling that organization so my mind is totally changed totally changed but the stress increased and but the mind still stable and and what keeps you going what helps you stay stable and and keep going yeah because i see the hope with, from from the community i i see how 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 women have to to have me how how i'm happy when when for example after i i can remember after the first delivery case i helped then the mother named her her baby uh, same as my name lena so i was really happy that that they feel or they 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 touch what i'm i'm doing what i'm trying to do because all what we do is volunteering we we are we 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 are not like you know uh, employers or no we do it by ourselves without funding and the funding is really hard issue but we are trying and also the women is like they they i become like their friends so any anything they need they just call even midnight they call me if they have any issues that they say when they said lena we 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 don't have anyone others to, to contact so please uh, we 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 just so i feel like like i i i have to complete this work and i have to um make it bigger than to 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 reach to uh many women in the community but that sounds like i mean that story of how oh, someone named their daughter after you that is really beautiful and 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 that it sounds like your legacy has has already you know started um even though as you said you're 26 um but that that sounds like in 2 years you've done so much work um monique i was wondering i know that you said you know you came to the United States as a child. So your experience of being a refugee is very different from Lena's. But do you see any parallels between your experiences and Lena's? I do see parallels, but um, it clearly what Lena is, is doing on a daily basis now is, is incredible. Um, and I've, I've never been, um, been called upon, uh, you know, to, to do that, uh, upon my initial arrival in the United States. I mean, clearly because I was a child, but I, the parallels I see are that, um, you know, when, when I hear Lena talk about the children and, and her efforts and her organization's efforts to also, um, you know, essentially just to, to 
make sure that they are doing well, doing well mentally, etc. I think about what it was like for me to um, to see my parents struggle and um, how how debilitating that was um, in the sense that you know there of course before we were refugees our parents were the most um, powerful figures in our lives um, they they were in you know they were in command, right? Not not in a negative way. I, I think about you know that they they knew everything, you know. Uh, and once you your family becomes uh, a refugee family, the the power dynamic changes because often the children learn the dominant language much quicker. They become the main um, sort of interpreter within the family. They often become the caregivers in some sense um, of their parents. And I, you know, and I think about the Yemeni children that that Lena um, and her group are are trying to to care and to 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 really sort of take into I, I'm sorry Leah you didn't use these words but I really when you talk about them I I I kind of really sense that you are sort of reaching out to them and wanting to hold them in your arms you know um in a you know figurative way and and um and it is so moving and I know that it is not, you know, the name of the organization, you know, has the word women in it, but really it is the whole family that uh, the whole sort of uh, women are the, often the linchpin of the family. Um, and I think what Lena has sort of identified or in terms of the issues that Yemeni refugees are facing in Malaysia, um, it it is it's bringing back all of these memories for me uh, um, of feeling powerless and needing so much and not really even knowing how to to access. Um, help and so it's a, it, it's really I commend Lena for her her just being on the front line of all of this yes it's definitely I can only imagine very difficult to be trying to help people especially during this time and and Lena you mentioned you know your organization is is struggling with trying to find um, funding can you tell us what those listening in can do to help the women that you support? Um, first, thank you, Monique. Thank you. I appreciate your feelings and I appreciate uh, your, your words and what we do. I appreciate anyone who feel what we are doing because really we, 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 we do our best to just reach out to these women. 
we have we have a bank account for any donations, but um, I'm trying to avoid any uh, rising for donations because it's really sensitive in the community and I don't want issues. But I know it's important to help these women. I have to broke this kind of sensitive things. And also we have a kids who they need. The babies, the babies things really, especially during COVID, it was we were we were really in need for the baby for the baby things because most of the Yemenis was working like um, they they well, day payments so you work today for five hours I will pay for you for these five hours so after COVID and the lockdown they've never go any work everything stops they are really struggling and facing many issues even some of the families they haven't a food in their in their houses uh, during ramadan i visited some houses in ambang area i was really surprised that they haven't even egg or bread i i was like oh my god is is it is it really the situation hard like this so um and it also the rental of the houses yeah some owners they were helpful i tried to call the owners even the owners i'm calling them to, to be patient and until the, this crisis, corona crisis become uh, or stopped or finished until they can be. But some of them, they are really helpful, but some of them they cannot. So they just ask the family to, to go out. Then we try to find the house for them and deposit and money to rent. It's really complicated. It's really, it's really hard. Even some kids, they they cannot pay the school fees. So some of them, and there are many, they they stop their their studying because they cannot pay the fees of the schools. So uh, if if possible, they can really donate to the to the Yemeni community. Um, I don't know how how to share it, but it's it's possible, of course. Yeah, and for this, I appreciate Monique that she is raising funding campaign for the organization. Really appreciate Monique. You're welcome, Lena. Um, it's as a former refugee, and you know, especially as um, someone who was a child refugee, I know how absolutely helpless um, children, refugee children, can feel. Um, as they witness, you know, their parents, their mothers, and their fathers um, being all of a sudden um, uh, lacking in in language and and I mean the basics of life, food, housing, etc. Um, it it changes the dynamics or it can change the dynamics within a family. And so uh, when I hear of your work, I think of, of um, how important it is and how necessary it is, not only for the adults who are going through it now, but of course for the generation um, of children who are um, going through it as well. I appreciate Monique. Thank you so much. And I'll end this with a question that both of you can answer. You know, for everyone listening right now, 
what would you say to them? What is something that you think is important for our audience to know about refugee communities? Um, okay, uh, what I want them really to know is that being a refugee is not our choice. It's completely not our choice and anyone can be in this situation. Nobody knows what this life can can bring to us, like the life bring COVID-19, so now I can imagine anything. So anyone can be in this situation. And uh, we really want to go back to our homes. We really need to rebuild our countries. But really, we, 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 we are like, we are, as a refugees, we are not planning to stay in, in, in uh, like a refugees forever, no. We are just waiting for the moment that one day our countries will be safe. So we will return back to rebuild and to be part from the new home of our countries. And uh, I, I can ask from anyone, those who are listening us, I just wanted to say to, to, to be kind, to be compassionate to the refugees, to the kids, uh, because really, uh, if 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 you cannot support um, financially or buy food or anything, you can't support by the world, um, by by um, letting as your friends or your family or whatever in your community to know really about refugees, to read about refugees, to read about our situation and how become refugees, and. Uh, we, sub we, we appreciate any support, even a small word that you are welcome or uh, we, we, will, we, will, we, we know that that's, we will be never all our life in Malaysia. Of course, we will return back to, to our countries. So what we needed is, is like a, a temporary home, temporary country. Uh, that we can contribute to, to this country as well. So, um, uh, and also I know there will be a lot of Malaysians who are listening to me. I appreciate everything you do. All locals here are really so kind with me and with my community. And I'm happy. I've never, actually for me personally and my community, I've never listened to anyone complain that there is, uh, a locals or Malaysians who said bad words to the refugees or to the community. So really, I appreciate all the support. And, you know, the support I always have is from the Malaysian. They are very, they are very respectful and uh, showing their feelings to us and how, how they want to help us. I, 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 I feel everything and I appreciate everything they do for us. I'm, I'm glad that's been your experience, Lena, um, though I, I think that maybe it currently that may not be all refugee community experiences in Malaysia, um, but I, I'm, I am very glad that it has been the experience for the Yemeni community. Yeah, Deborah, can I just add one point? Yes, please go ahead. It's not for all the communities. Many other communities, they are facing some challenges, but uh, um, as I think because we have a history with Malaysia. That's why we feel it's we are like um, 
our traditions. And you know, there were a lot of Malaysian students who were in Yemen before the war. And I were having many friends in Yemen. They were Malaysian. Before I know there is a country named Malaysia when I was kids. Then I, I grew up, I saw my neighbors are Malaysian. At the university near to my father's shop, uh, all of the students were Malaysian. So I, I grew up, I know, and also we have the cities like Sayoun, Tarim. They are full of uh, Malaysian and they visit Yemen. Even during the war, they visit these cities in Yemen. So, um, yeah, but as you said, it's, it's not for all communities. But now I, I just speak for, for my community. We have my community. But, uh, uh, yes, I know about other communities. They are really facing many things. But I can see what I can see is we are lucky. No one chooses to be a refugee. Um, no one. Uh, it is a struggle on a day-to-day -day basis. If you are someone who has the um, privilege of having the dominant language of the country that you're living in, then your experience um, will be a tad bit easier. But uh, even with access to the dominant language, um, it is on a day-to-day -day basis a struggle because, because you are simply no longer at home, <laughs> you know? And the biggest privilege of life is to feel at home, to be at home. That, that phrasing is so rich with meaning to feel a sense of comfort, to, to know what um, will, to know uh, the history, the language, the society that you are a part of. Um, and I, you know, when I hear Lena speak about the um, the possibility of of returning to her home country, I um, it is I I have to admit I for especially for Vietnamese refugees for a long time we knew that wasn't possible, and and so I think our at least in the United States among Vietnamese refugees. It was, it was a a kind of an absolute closed door, um, but as we know, Vietnam did eventually open up um, its um, relationship with the United States again, and now um, there is movement of people back and forth. So, um, life is unpredictable, <laughs> you know, and and we are. Um, I think among refugee communities in general, um, these are resilient folks. These are people who are um, reacting and acting in a way that is, um, that is 
you know, I, I don't want to just glorify our, our status, but it really is, it takes a kind of bravery to do what refugee communities around the world are, are um, doing um, to, to pick up your life either temporarily or maybe you think forever and to start life and to start living anew someplace else. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you both for speaking with me today and for sharing your experiences. It's been a really fascinating conversation and enlightening for me. Um, and both of you will be in conversation this weekend. If you're interested in attending Women in Displacement, a conversation with Monique Truong and Lena Al-Mujahid on June 26th at 8 p.m. GMT plus 8, you can head to www.afr-sg.com or look for Advocates for Refugees-SG on Facebook for more information. We'll link to their pages in the episode details. Me? Thank you so much, Deborah. Um, your your questions were so well prepared, and it was real. It was a real honor to speak with Lena and to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much, and I appreciate this opportunity to speak about the situation and speak as well with Monique before the event on Friday. <laughs> uh, I appreciate the support, uh, uh, Deborah, and uh, looking forward on this. Thank you so much. Our thanks to Monique and Lina for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Check out our episode details for how you can register for the event Women in Displacement on 26 June 8pm GMT plus 8, a book reading and discussions co-sponsored by AFRSG and Gaudi Boy in conjunction with World Refugee Day. If you'd like to learn more about the work that Lina does, check out the Yemeni Refugee Women Association by searching at YRWA capital A on Facebook and at YRWA underscore association on Instagram. You can also go to their website YRWA.org to find out how you can support their work. If you would like to read Monique's latest book, The Sweetest Fruits, you can find it at tidyurl.com slash sweetestfruits. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Deborah wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!